0: Think
1: 100%. There was such a need for us to do our work in a different, more inclusive, more intersectional way, and to really. Um, build on the work that we've been doing to focus on racial justice and equity and to being an anti-racist organization and wanting to partner um, with organizations, especially Black-led organizations.
0: And that's Tiernan Sittenfeld, the Senior Vice President for Government Affairs at the League of Conservation Voters. She is our guest today, and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Well, I'm excited. I have my dear friend Tiernan Sittenfeld with me. Tiernan, how are you doing?
1: I'm feeling good, Rev. Thank you so much for having me. How are you feeling?
0: I feel good too. I mean, you know, listen, it's been a lot. 2020 has been, has uh, <sighs> been man, it's been 2020.
1: It, 2020 has been horrific in so many ways yeah. to have the results of the elections Not, of course, we're sad about some of the great candidates who didn't make it, but I think having, getting rid of the worst president we've ever had across the board, and especially when it comes to climate change and environmental justice and racism and everything, to have him losing is just, I I feel like it's turning the whole year around, the whole decade, really.
0: No, no, no. We're going to get to all that. I want to get to you first. First. Yeah. And foremost, um, are your kids letting you wear sneakers yet? Uh, how, how is that coming? Are you, can you wear vans? They, is it like a revolt? I mean, I, I almost want to know all the real deal.
1: I will say that maybe a silver lining of mostly you know being at home um, or not having to get up and get dressed up to go run around the halls of Congress is that I've been able to wear my vans a lot.
0: And I love
1: it. I think of you when I do.
0: Yeah, yeah, you yeah, have more than one pair. Just one pair.
1: I, I am. I aspire to be like you. I have one pair. I have a bunch of um, hats, none of which are as cool as yours. But I just, sadly, I just have the one pair of vans. I, I am intrigued by getting another pair. Do you have a recommendation?
0: You, you do, yeah. You gotta go to, and this is actually we, we gotta, I gotta check make sure vans is doing everything to make sure they are sustainable because that's, I gotta wanna be giving vans. I'm, I'm assuming so. They, they seem to be. I'm happy with folks like Patagonia and others like that. But let's assume that Van is doing. We're gonna find out. Let's
1: definitely let's get to the bottom of that. Yeah,
0: I, that's I, very I important. That they, they gotta. This is all companies moving forward need to make sure they are sustainable and following a very good plan for the environment. That's important.
1: Absolutely. That's important.
0: Yeah. That's never what you gotta more do. so. Yes. Never more so. So, but with that being said, let's assume, assuming that. Yeah, no. The van with the cushy soles are the ones you got to get.
1: I couldn't agree more. I got those. I love them. Um, So I think I would definitely need, for any future pairs, the cushy sole. It's more about, like, the aesthetic, the color, the cut. Um, I have, well, one of your many pairs is the same pair that I have, which is sort of the classic.
0: Black and white.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a good thing.
1: Which is your favorite pair of of the ones you have? Oh,
0: black and white. Black and white is the way to go yeah well, I wear black I wear black and white mostly, but black and white, also black, white, and red is also a good look. That's very cool. and now you can also folks listen. you can also go to Vans and make you can you can design your own pair. you know that Yeah yeah, you can just go on
1: <laughs> Well, I also did see some i not, i I think one of my colleagues at l c v has them where they have kind of like flames on them, which I think. Yes. That's real. Do you have those too? I was like, that's appropriate.
0: Yeah, I have. I have. I have, I have every Vans yeah. <laughs> out. I have a van. You know, I actually, I actually, I, I, I moved. I actually live in Vansville. That's a real story. I live in Vansville, Maryland. So it's appropriate. No joke. No, real. That's 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 a real. I, I, uh...
1: Did you move because of your love of the shoes?
0: No, no, no. I moved because no, I was uh, COVID. Let to my mom.
1: <laughs> I, guess ah. I was
0: taking, taking care of old people. <laughs> <laughs> was the first, was the, was the main reason, but it happened to be in Vansville. So there You're you a
1: good go. son. You're a good son. No, no. Good dad. Good person.
0: I love it. Well, thank you. And, you know, Tina, I, I so respect, and for folks, know, we just, we, Tina because this is my my dear friend, Tina. She is the senior vice president for government affairs at the League of Conservation Voters, she directs LCB's policy and lobbying efforts with Congress and the executive branch on a range of issues, including climate change, energy, public lands, water, and chemical policy reform. She works on LCB legislative accountability campaigns and oversees the National Environmental Scorecard, which we're going to get into. She also leads the LCB Action Fund coordinated team overseeing all candidate endorsements, and endorsement communications, direct contributions, and coordinated field programs. Before joining LCV in 2005, she worked for the U.S. Public Interest Research Group. We like to call it U.S. as the preservation advocate, specializing in public lands and ocean issues. Prior to that, she worked for uh, OSPIRG and CalPIRG, which is like the local kind of pieces to that in the regional. Miss Sittenfeld is a graduate of Dartmouth College, uh, which actually beat last year beat my son in, uh, in hockey at his college, so there's no- oh Yeah, I got a, my other friend, Anthony, she, she, was, she was teasing me about that. She lives in Washington, <laughs> D.C. with her husband and two sons. Uh,
1: Way too long of an introduction. Thank you, though. I, I like it from that's, you.
0: <laughs> that's a great introduction. So, so, Tyron, with all that being said, you know, I opened up this show. Who is Tiernan? Who who is? And this is not just what you've done from LCV and right. all your political, you know, because you're like a, you're like a, you're like an OG in the halls of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> but who is Tiernan Sittenfeld?
1: Well, today I am definitely mindful of being a mom because. I'm at home by myself for the first time since the pandemic started. My husband teaches and my two sons are in middle school and they're all um, on a tr- sort of trial basis at school today. So it feels very wow. quiet here. <laughs> but um, I so I'm a mom, uh, I'm a, a sister, I have three siblings. Uh, I'm a wife, as I mentioned, my husband is a teacher.
0: I've seen your siblings on like doing some, tweeting some stuff, are they, are they like reporters or politics?
1: Uh, very observant. So what my brother is, who's my youngest sibling, he is on city council in Cincinnati. Okay. Running for mayor. So he's in politics. Um and then I have another sister who is a photographer. She's she does great photos actually. Her name is Joe. I would definitely check out her work.
0: What's on an Instagram? She
1: she's on Instagram, although she Joe Sittenfeld is not on Twitter. Okay. And my sister Curtis Sittenfeld is she's a writer. She just had um, her maybe sixth book come out called Rodham. It's like an ima- it sort of imagines if Hillary Clinton hadn't married Bill, what would her life have been and what would the country, what would happen with the country? It's actually, it's, I highly recommend it. That came out a few months ago.
0: It is, that sounds fascinating.
1: It is. It's a, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors, where she misses the subway and then you see like I did
0: actually. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, The two different ways your life could play out. Yeah. But obviously, for someone like Hillary, it also has like massive implications for the country and the world. But Curtis and PG are both on Twitter. In fact, they both have um, far more Twitter followers than I do. So whenever I think I've tweeted something like really great about climate change or about a candidate we love, I usually try to get like push do some like sibling um favors to get them to retweet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's really. Good. Oh man! You know, you know, I was I was a White House intern. Did
1: you know that? I feel like I remember that, but yeah. I don't know any but details. An Tell Clinton. me about it.
0: I was I was a White House intern with
1: Clinton.
0: I mean, I usually get asked the obvious question about right. who else was intern with me, but that you know, that is what it is. But Speaking of
1: Twitter, I love her on Twitter. Monica Lewinsky is really great on Twitter.
0: She is actually good on Twitter. Now she actually came after me. She right. was in a, she was in the class after me. so I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know her.
1: But oh, was, so barely. You almost overlapped.
0: A little, yeah, close. Yeah, she came right after me. The class after me. Intern. You're Whatever so you know, youthful.
1: I was gonna. I was gonna think you were after she was.
0: think that was an Obama intern or something. I'd, I'd appreciate that. <laughs>
1: Maybe not quite that youthful. No offense.
0: Okay, a, Bush, a Bush intern, which actually is not bad anymore. It used to be bad. Now, now think what we got, it's like, you could be a Bush intern.
1: I know. Isn't that weird? Like the nostalgia or like the Trump comparison? <laughs> it's like
0: before it be like, what? Now it's right. like, oh, it's okay. It's fine. Well,
1: even seeing him at like John Lewis's funeral. No.
0: And him and, like, and, him and, um, and Michelle Obama has a whole, that, that you know, the <laughs> scene of the human actually is a thing.
1: Yeah, we will
0: get back to being human <laughs> that'll be a, a great yes. thing it's we'll, time yeah yeah but no, i have I was, high
1: hopes that our next president and vice president um will set a great example and help us do that
0: but we got to get there and, and so in that how, how do you feel about the fact that we had so much climate discussed during the debates in this election what are your thoughts on that
1: i feel yeah. really encouraged about it and especially you know if you go back to sort of the beginning of the Democratic primary, when there were like 25 candidates running. And as you know, since you're on the board of LCV, we at the onset of the it. primary, we, we are so proud to have you on our board. We love, we love that. Um, but we, in, you know, so we had the discussions about what is sort of the highest, best use of our energy-focused resources, and should we endorse a candidate relatively early? Of course, that we it seemed like there were going to be, and there were, candidates for whom climate was a top priority, or in the case of Governor Inslee, the priority. But we also felt like, with the field so wide open, that there was really an opportunity to help create a race to the top when it came to prioritizing climate on the campaign trail. And we wanted all of them to sort of have a competition with each other um, over who could put out the most ambitious climate plan, who could talk about climate the most on the campaign stump, who could do events. And I think we saw over the course of 2019 that that really came to pass. It was also great that CNN and MSNBC both ended up doing climate town halls. Mm. The climate plans that the candidates put out—they weren't just like perfunctory or like, you know, ho hum climate plans. Like they were really ambitious. And I think we then saw that translate right into the general and Vice President Biden actually got stronger and stronger on climate i think thanks to the work of so many people obviously huge shout out um, to sunrise to 350 to hip-hop caucus and you know just so many groups coming together and saying especially young people this is our future literally on the line our future is at stake we need you vice president biden to really lean in on this and the plan that came out as part of build back better in july especially the climate focus the environmental justice focus was really strong, really exciting, the fact that if you think back to 2016, when there was literally not one single question about climate change in the general debates, even though, you know, Hillary had good plans, she wanted to talk about it, but obviously 2016 general election was not substantive, it wasn't about policies to the extent that it was, climate got almost no attention. So the fact that in every single debate during the general, there was such a robust climate discussion, I think is really encouraging. So, to get back to your question, I feel especially given all the horrors that we were talking about a few minutes ago of you know 2020.
0: Say that say that louder for the folks in the back of the room. Horrors. Just say that to say that loud. All the horrors. Horrors!
1: Horrors! <laughs> like, how loudly <laughs> can I scream it?
0: You can.
1: <laughs> right. But I think, you know, the fact that all of these horrors and crises, racial injustice, police violence the coronavirus pandemic, the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities, the climate crisis. But I think there was a real through line with all of these crises. And I think that Vice President Biden and and Senator Harris really talked about that. And I think it also underscored how much the current president, but not for long, yay, um, but how much he, you know, he ignores experts. He thinks he knows better and we all suffer as a result. So I would say even with all of these, other horrors um, dominating the news, the fact that climate was still such a focus, I think, is really noteworthy.
0: No, it is. And do you, as you as you mentioned, particularly in in Biden's situation, he got stronger, which was encouraging. And I see that you see that happening. Um, and also with, with with Harris, and you know, before she was chosen as VP, she had put forth legislation on environmental justice and things like that. Do you see that continuing? Um, as they as they govern
1: we uh, we absolutely expect it to continue but i do feel um and we will i feel confident that it will i mean so it's not like i feel like oh we're really gonna have to push
0: bring so about movement that may be a little bit a little bit afraid of that
1: yeah i don't think that this was like lip service or that they felt like it was you know smart politics. But it is smart politics. I mean, to be clear, leaning in on climate solutions, on clean energy jobs, good paying jobs where you can really support your family, environmental justice, that is, it's the right thing to do. It's the moral thing to do. It's also the smart thing to do. It's, you know, as we like to say at the League of Conservation Voters, it's good policy and good politics. But I think we really saw, especially over the last few months, where Vice President Biden and many of his senior staff, in a very intentional way, thought we really, we have so much listening and learning to do, especially from environmental justice leaders around the country who have done so much work for so long. And they didn't just do like one-off meetings. They really, I think, understood we want to build relationships for the long term. We want to learn where we haven't led in the ways that we should. And we want to get all of that information and we want to work with you. We want to put out plans on that. And, you know, I think now we see environmental justice leaders who are on the transition, who have been part of um, some of the climate and environmental justice sort of groups um, and advisory boards. And then they reflect they're included in the transition advisory board. I get a little tripped up with like the advisory group and (laughs) all the different um, entities out there, but I think that the focus that they brought, um, and I think the vice president over the course of that really did listen and has internalized so much. I think he's always led on these issues. He's always cared about them. But I I can see um, the growth and the commitment, even just since he became the nominee. And I'm really optimistic and confident that he and Senator Harris will carry that with them into the administration they have made really big commitments and clearly time is not on our side i see your nine years cap obviously um, sadly I have to keep updating it every year but uh you know i think they know that there's we're literally out of time we there's nothing no time to waste they have to get going right away we hope that they will have we know they have speaker pelosi um who is the most pro-environment speaker we've ever had by far who did so much to advance climate progress during this last Congress, but obviously we had Mitch McConnell standing in the way that it every opportunity. Of course, we'd love for him to not be the majority leader. We'll see what happens uh, with Georgia. Um, all fingers crossed, because it would be really great to have the trifecta, but either way, we know that with Vice President Harris and President Biden and Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer, we're great things are ahead, and, and we all need to be in this together and just put it all out there because this, this is our biggest opportunity.
0: No, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, Tina, I, I, I regard you as one of our most gifted political minds in the climate space. Um, you understand that either we shape policy or policy shapes you. Um, as, we, as we approach this new moment, this, this paradigm shift, We also approach it with a dismantling of what happened. You know, November 4th was the, was the the America, U.S. pulling out of the Paris climate accord. Um, EPA had to roll back over a hundred regulations. We saw just the dismantling of, of FERC. We saw that with interior. We saw that with energy. We see it with what's being happening with drilling in the Arctic. So I guess in that, I mean, you know, and you mentioned earlier, we, we, we have a lot of things happening. We have a country that unfortunately may be fighting this, fighting this election, either, you know, in, in our reality, in their own minds, that it's not, not genuine. We have a situation where we still we dealing with coronavirus, won't go away. Uh, wish, I wish that would just go away with this process. We have oh, yeah. still racial justice. We have hurricanes that are still happening. Wildfires are happening. All these things are still happening. So I guess my question to you is that: How do we put climate? Um, you know, how does it not fall? Obviously, it's hasn't it that fall back in the first hundred days. How, does, how do we how do we not hear about climate on not until Earth Day? I, mean, I don't want I don't want to be like, oh, okay, so it's Earth Day, April. So let's talk about climate again. So how do we get it? Uh, you know, from January twentieth moving forward.
1: Yeah such an important question obviously every day truly has to be earth day like if we get to actual earth day in april and then we're like oh it's earth day what should we do i would say that would be a collective failure on all of our parts but fortunately i'm really happy that it's not going to (laughs) happen um i mean i think you know you are correctly pointing out like all the awful things that this most anti-environmental administration has done um it is thrilling to be able to turn the page on that and to get to work with the Biden-Harris administration. It's, I think what's really important, is you talked about all the sort of everything else happening, is that we continue to focus on these challenges and these crises as the interwoven crises that they are and that the solutions are also interwoven. So we have to advance climate solutions. We need to continue to transition to 100% clean energy. We need to create good family sustaining jobs. We obviously have to prioritize justice and equity for black and brown communities, for low income communities that are disproportionately impacted not just by sort of the looming threat of climate change or by climate change today, but by decades of toxic pollution. Um, And so we really need the Biden administration to just bring a whole of government approach. And the good news is, you know, with or without Congress. Again, we want it all. We want executive action. We want legislative action. But they have so much authority and we need all of the agencies and departments from the EPA to Department of Energy to the Department of Agriculture, State Department, Commerce, Treasury. There's such an important role for all of these different departments to play. And Mm -hmm. they have to get going. You talked about some of these rollbacks, but right away, um, we got to get back into the Paris Agreement not just get back into it, but strengthen it. We have to reassert our leadership on the world stage. That could not be more important. Clearly, then Vice President Biden and President Obama made a lot of progress on that front, and then it's just been disgraceful the way this president has acted. Um, But then in terms of some of these regulations, I mean, common sense public health protections that President Obama advanced, whether on clean cars for power plants, on methane, We need to see this administration get to work right away, Um, not just going back to what were very impressive rules at the time, but clearly the science has shown us the problem is so much worse, and so we need to be ambitious, we need to go further, Um, but we also, um, you know, we need to move forward with suspending fossil fuel-related permits. We, especially in sensitive areas, we would love to see the administration apply a climate test to new fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, we, this all needs to be in service of getting us to that 1.5 degree pathway. I think also another overarching theme for me is restoring sort of the role of good government, of science, of integrity. Um, and then there's just a lot that we can do. Clearly, we're seeing all these issues are interrelated, including, you know, for example, I would say we used to in some ways have a more siloed approach, like, okay, here's clean water issues. Here's public lands issues. Here's climate issues, but they are really related. And I think something that there's a lot of enthusiasm around is getting to protect 30% of our lands and waters by 2030. So we'd love to see the Biden Harris administration get to work right away. They can protect iconic places like the Arctic national wildlife refuge, which of course Trump has been going after. They can designate new national monuments. They can um, bring back monuments, restore existing ones like bear's ears. There's more that they can do um, to protect our coasts, obviously, which Trump has been kind of just a mess on that along with everything else. And then just uh, again, back to water for a second, because I think there is an opportunity through economic recovery or COVID relief packages um, to do a lot. And, you know, of course, There's too many communities, um, especially communities of color, that are suffering from um, failing water infrastructure, from polluted water, um, unaffordable water rates. So we really need the Biden administration to come in and both stop the rollbacks to clean water protections, um, but also we need immediate action to stop water shutoffs, to invest in clean water infrastructure so that all people in this country, regardless of, you know, their race or where they live, have just basic access to clean water.
0: Mm, that's important. Listen, let me take a step back for a second. I actually just realized that, um, you know, LCV, legal Conservation Voters, was, was super ambitious in this 2020 election and trying to elect climate champions across, the across. so not only in the House, or in the state houses, or local, or obviously the executive branch. Um, Let's talk about that. I mean, there's a lot of resources that went into that process, a lot of energy, go green and other kind of things. Um, What can I give folks like a one-on-one, 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 I want to say one-one-one, but one-on-one in that process, what went into that? And and how do you feel about that? Because then there has been some talk that while um, we're going to win the president and vice president, there, there 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 wasn't the same kind of results that people are saying seeing now within the House and the Senate. Um, give, give folks a little background on that process.
1: Yeah, thanks thanks for asking about that. And I think one of the things that's been so exciting is seeing all of the energy and enthusiasm and um, both more sort of electoral focus among, um, environmental groups, um, but also an opportunity. One of the things that we realized we wanted to do very differently this cycle is think about who we partner with. And of course we have long-term great partners with whom we've worked for many years. Like, thank you for mentioning Give Green, um, which is a platform that LCV Action Fund does with, um, I'm sorry, LCV Victory Fund with, a. NRDC Action Fund and with Next Gen America to raise money for pro-environment candidates so that they have the resources that they need to win. But it also sends a message like, Rev, if you give to a particular candidate and I give to that same candidate um, and all of our you know circle of friends give that same candidate and we're saying, hey, we're giving to you through Give Green because we expect you to not just be a solid vote when it comes to clean air and clean water, but to really be a champion to think through what can you do to advance these issues, whether on the House or Senate floor, whether introducing legislation, whether doing events. Um, so we were really proud that we were able to um, raise and contribute over forty million dollars through Give Green wow. record breaking. Um, so I think just increased collaboration with longer term partners, but then also, um, you know, we have realized in this year um, when so much of the just disgusting racism of the president. The, uh, the outgoing president—that's that's a fun thing to say. Outgoing president from. Say it again. Say
0: it again. You know, the back in the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that there was um, such a need for us to do our work in a different, more inclusive, more intersectional way, and to really um, build on the work that we've been doing to focus on racial justice and equity, and to being an anti-racist organization and wanting to partner um, with organizations, especially Black-led organizations like Black Pack. Um, partnered with Somos. So we're really proud of the partnerships um, that we um, were able to begin this year. We also really focused on who are the voters we're talking to and how do we, because, you know, we know um, that people of color, that women, young people care deeply um, about these issues and Obviously, there's been horrible, horrible, disgusting attempts at voter intimidation, voter suppression, and so working to to counter that um, and to help everyone in this country feel like they have a right to participate equitably in our democracy. Um, that voting is a right, not a privilege, um, and then also, of course, really focusing um, over you know many years, but especially this year, in terms of who are the candidates that we are supporting. And how and how we're working with them. Who are the candidates who are running ads for to help them get elected? Um, so, forty percent of um, the candidates we endorse this year uh, are people of color. Fifty-two percent are women. Of course, um, there's still way more to go to have Congress look more like the, the rest of America does. But I think there's been progress on all of those fronts. Um, I mean, to get back to your question about it's obviously you know thrilling that what the, to win the presidency. I think we will see what happens. Can I just say, thank goodness for Stacey Abrams and Georgia? I mean,
0: you can say that you can say that a thousand times. Actually,
1: thank st- for
0: Stacey Abrams, no doubt about it. And and just on that note, since you put the deck in this deck, thank thank goodness for um, black women who I think have saved America, and yeah. and and for young people, I think that without a doubt they're their voices have were critical for how this election is shaped. Without that, we wouldn't be where we are right now.
1: No, absolutely. I could not agree more. Thank goodness for Black women. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel like we could spend the rest of our time together talking about Stacey Abrams and her incredible leadership in Georgia. No,
0: the the registering 800,000 people in Georgia overcoming the 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 voter suppression efforts. It's ama- I mean, her efforts um, and people like Natasha Brown, make sure for Black Voters Matter, and others as yeah. like, well. make sure, and, and you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, from uh, Black Pack and uh, Stephanie. There's so many, so many. I think have Melanie Campbell, Black Women Brown I mean, there's so many. Um, I think you're right. Especially Abrams, I think is. I actually didn't understand. I wasn't sure what she was doing after she had lost. Right? I wasn't sure because she had such a high profile to leave to like to be run for president, run for Senate. And she stuck in that lane, which to me, I think was also so important to do what she did.
1: Yes. I know. I I was disappointed. I wanted her to run for something, but clearly (laughs) she knew what she needed to do to have a massive impact. Um, But so it's, I mean, on one hand, we're thrilled that we were able to beat Martha McSally um, in Arizona, that we were able to beat Cory Gardner. Uh, Having, I think, John Hickenlooper and Mark Blake coming to the Senate is great.
0: No, and and let's talk about that. That's actually important for public. public. People don't need to understand. Give a little bit more on that one, because with Arizona and Colorado, there was also a fight regarding public lands. And that was such an important fight to win in that regard on climate.
1: Yeah, and I think also, especially in Arizona, um, the changing demographics, and again, let's just talk about the Latinx voters who turned out and had victories um, all over the place in Arizona. So, so important, you know. I think really across the Southwest and in other states as well. So that that is really exciting. Um, there was a real um, squeaker in Michigan um, where we had partnered with Blackpack in support of Gary Peters. Um, he, you know, his race wasn't called until now the days are sort of blending together. Not, I can't remember if it was yesterday. <laughs> I think it was just yesterday. It's been a long week, but uh you know, um Gary Peters is such a champion for climate action, for the Great Lakes, for environmental justice. And so again, I think worst case scenario, that it looks like the Senate will be 4852. 48 Democrats could end up winning either or both of those Georgia seats, um, which would, of course, be thrilling. But there and then also Ben Ray Lujan in New Mexico. That's not a pickup because longtime environmental champion Tom Udall retired from the Senate. But Ben Ray Lujan has been in the House for a long time. He's fantastic. So I do feel really enthusiastic about the just the sheer number of senators on the Democratic side who are so passionate about Environmental justice, about climate justice, about racial justice—who absolutely get that you can't have one without the other. Um, Senator Schumer is a um, supporter of the Thrive Act, which is about how, you know how we rebuild our economy in a way that is um, racially just, that is equitable, that focuses on clean energy. So I think there's real opportunity, especially for must-pass spending bills, um, even if not all of the great candidates who won uh, who ran won, and certainly it's really disappointing, you know, where I would have liked nothing more than for Sarah Gideon, Teresa Greenfield, you know, people, some awesome new women to have joined the Senate, um, but they, I hope they'll run again. And then in the house, again, there's there are some really great environmental champions um, who we're gonna miss a lot. People like Sochi Torres Small um, or Joe Cunningham who led on the Great American Outdoors Act. Um, but many of these people, the good news is they're young. They have very bright futures ahead of them. I I hope they'll, um, I know they'll do great work wherever they are and perhaps they'll run again.
0: Do you think, I mean, also, shout mentioned our dear friend, uh, Marky, who also is is back and you wanna give him a shout out. He had a tough primary process going on there, but good to see him in back in the fold. Do you think, and I agree with you, there's a lot of climate champions on, on the Hill. Do you think that would translate into kind of policy, though?
1: I do. I am optimistic. Um, And I think that there's both an incredible amount that we were talking about in terms of executive authority that the Biden administration will have. So there's that massive amount of work that's going to be done. But then when we think about what can happen on Capitol Hill, I really like our odds a lot better with Speaker Pelosi, the most pro-environment speaker, you know, ever. And there's so many, a lot of her caucus, part of their reason for running, someone like Mike Levin um, in Southern California or Sean Caston in Illinois, two members who ran for the first time in 2018, part of the reason that they ran is that they were so appalled by the Trump administration rollbacks when it comes to the environment, public health, climate change. And so they are really wanting to lead the charge and ensure the house does a lot. We did see the house take make a lot of progress whether it was HR9 the climate action now act that said that Trump couldn't leave the Paris climate agreement or Speaker Pelosi bringing back the select committee on the climate crisis that is led by chair Kathy Castor from Florida who's such a champion and they came out with a 500-page report. It's um it's quite something I encourage people to check it out. Um, but it's really a roadmap for climate action. And I think there's a lot of what's in there. There's an analogous report on the Senate side, on the special committee that's led by Senator Brian Schatz, another big champion from Hawaii. Um, but there's a, there are a lot, lot of clean energy provisions, infrastructure, investing in things like um, renewable energy, infrastructure, like electric vehicle charging stations, um, putting people back to work. Um, you know, fixing pipelines, stuff like that, that there's a lot of bipartisan support. And there are Republicans in the Senate who are vulnerable, and they're up in 2022. There are Republicans in the Senate who have in the past supported clean energy legislation. So I think that Mitch McConnell will stand in the way of progress at the political peril of his, his majority, if if it ends up being that he has that majority. Again, let's hope not. So I think, as we see economic recovery, COVID recovery bills move forward, as we see the appropriations process move forward, as we see infrastructure, as we see a transportation bill, that between the Biden administration, obviously, we would need the president to sign any legislation that gets to his desk, um, and this really great pro-environment majority in the House, and then this very narrow margin in the Senate, um, that we have a lot of leverage. So I like our odds much better now than when it was Speaker Pelosi battling the most anti-environmental president ever and the greatest climate denier perhaps ever in Mitch McConnell.
0: How do you feel? Well, actually, let's turn the lens from the inside-outside, from the inside to the outside then. Um, What are your thoughts on the climate movement right now? Are we prepared to help this thrust move forward?
1: Well, can I just, can we just say, I'm so proud of the climate movement. Say
0: it, say, say that, say that.
1: Yes. I mean, such such pride, such kudos to my colleagues across the environmental movement. And I think the energy that we saw, you know, I one of the highlights for me of the last, I guess, actually now over a year ago was um, going with my then 12 year old son and his buddy to the D.C. climate strike, um, you know, in, like, like mid-September of 2019. But so I think he was like to skip school. Um, <laughs> but he was also really excited to get to go um raise his voice for climate action at the Capitol. But I definitely, I mean, the kids are all right. They make me optimistic. Um, but I think the way that we have seen groups sort of in the environmental environmental justice space across the political spectrum come together. I think um, for LCV, getting to be part of the equitable and just national climate platform was really, I think the honor um, of our careers and to see so much of um, what was in that what's in that platform be reflected in the Build Back Better proposals and in the House Select Committee report. Um, and to to get to listen and learn from these environmental justice leaders um has been so personally impactful. Um, we're also really excited to be part of the Blue Green Alliance um, and um, the Clean Energy Jobs platform, um, and seeing how that is so impactful. So I think, you know it's not just sort of environmental groups over here and environmental justice groups over here and labor unions over here. um, And um, some of the groups that we were talking about, um, like Black Pack, we're all coming together. In some ways, maybe, I don't know if it's, I don't say, not a silver lining, but I would say partly Trump is like a great uniter because everyone just so much wants to get rid of him. But I think the climate crisis is too. It's so massive. But the solutions are also so huge. And the opportunity to rebuild our economy in a way that addresses racial injustice, that addresses the climate crisis, that puts people back to work, that improves public health. There's so much excitement and opportunity around that. So I feel, um, I mean, I've, I've been at this for a long time. I spent my, as well, you, you introduced me, so I, um, you know, I spent my career in the environmental movement, and I would say that the, um, the sort of energy, the youth, the, not necessarily from the two of us, no offense, but uh, the, the collaboration is so, I think, inspiring and exciting, and I feel like together we're going to accomplish great things.
0: No, no, I agree. No, I definitely agree. And I guess, well, before I get to the guests, let me just say that um, I know you're right. And I, I'm excited I want to commend everybody in the climate movement as well for we wouldn't have been talking about climate during the debates. We wouldn't have been having the conversation. We wouldn't be doing a lot of different things if it wasn't for the issue of um, the closing argument of President Biden um, and Vice President Harris was around the issue of environmental justice. They were rolling out uh, ads on climate change, from farms and everything else. So that was, that was very, very powerful. Um, and I'm excited about this coalition. I, I will say this, I'm a little nervous, though, because I think that while the coalition was there, maybe you're right, to, 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 to move on uh, a climate-denying president at the time, um, and we're hopefully moving forward uh, in that aspect, um, there was a lot of work that was being done before that. Maybe you could tell people a lot about what LCV was doing, to be an anti-racist organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have been, I think, recognized sort of that this was something that we needed to focus on in a much deeper way. Of course, we should have done it sooner, um, but we've been thinking a lot about, you know, I touched on this a bit, like who are the, who are our partners, who do we work with, who are our members, you know, who helps fund our organization, what are the issues that we work on? Um, and how do we, and even something like think about, we keep track of how members of Congress vote, as you know well, with our national environmental scorecard. And how are we ensuring that the votes that we score reflect a broad array, a broad array of not just sort of strictly environmental issues, but environmental issues. Um, where's the overlay? Again, The the intersection of racial justice, of climate justice, environmental justice. So thinking about, being anti-racist and, and really bringing um, a racial justice and equity lens to all of our work is so important, or the policies that we choose to engage on or send up letters to the Hill on, who are the, um, the candidates we support, who are the candidates who we you know, do um, campaigns on their behalf, who, and thinking about the opportunity that we have, mm. like our endorsement process where we do a questionnaire we asked probably more candidates at the question than the candidates would like um, on things like clean air, clean water, environmental justice. Um, but how do we use that as a chance to better educate candidates who are running, who don't necessarily have expertise or haven't thought as much um, as perhaps they should have about the connections um, between race and climate and the environment and toxic pollution. So um, I think we're really in all ways. Um, and I think, again, all of the, the horrors of 2020 have really crystallized um, you know, just how much is at stake, how much racism there is in this country. And I think as, as an organization at all levels, and you know, kudos to you again as a board member for helping lead this, we are focused on continuing to improve LCV in all ways, and especially to, to be more intersectional and to really become the anti-racist organization that we strive to be.
0: No, thank you for that. And actually, I just love hearing you, Jen. I get excited because you know I just can hear just the growth and just this the this this to see how you understand. And I love with LCV and, and people Sierra Club dealing with things in their in their past, uh and, and groups like RAN and Greenpeace and this folks, many, 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 NRDC, man, Gina McCarthy is amazing. I mean so many, so many folks across the line. Um, who I who I who I know are really trying to get it right, and uh, but there are some who still don't who I think don't understand. So, for you as a as an environmentalist, as somebody who who's white, uh, uh, how would you um, how would you be in a position to to tell folks um, what would you want to? How could you explain to them why it's important to understand that? climate justice is racial justice and racial justice is climate justice. Like, if you can talk to that wing and say, right. yes, you know, like, hey, you know, we, we understand, we care about racial justice. You're like, no, it has to be intertwined moving forward for us to succeed. What, right. how, what, what, what how, how would you tell that to them?
1: Right, well, you know, one of the things that I feel like I hadn't focused on enough was some of the past efforts that we'd worked on um, with, like So if you put a price on carbon or a cap and trade or even the Clean Power Plan, um, you know, if you're bringing down pollution across the board, of course that is important. But if you're not bringing down pollution, especially in the communities that have been devastated, and we're not just talking about carbon pollution, we're talking about also co-pollutants, you know, toxic pollution that has been poisoning frontline communities, communities of color for decades, that if you are not really addressing that at the same time, that that's terrible. So it's not like, oh, oh, let's just set a price on carbon and let the markets like work their magic. Certainly a price could be a tool in the toolbox for bringing down overall emissions, but we have to be, I mean, we're talking about people's lives and livelihoods and children, and we have to focus especially on the communities that have borne the disproportionate impact of this pollution not just today or not just going forward from the climate crisis, but for decades. So I think that is really important. I think it also is, you know we can't speak for communities or we need to, um, I think, really ensure who's at the table and representation and who's crafting solutions is something that is really important. And I think that was reflected in the environmental justice and climate portions of the Build Back Better proposal that we saw this summer. And I think it's also that we can't we can't talk about addressing the climate crisis if we don't focus on climate justice for all of our communities, and especially for the communities that are being hit, the, the first and the worst.
0: No, I appreciate that, uh, you saying that. And I, I like that. So we mentioned earlier about uh, Stacey, Stacey Abrams and the power of Black women. Obviously, we mentioned a little bit about the brown communities. Uh, in Nevada, Arizona, talk about talk about Chispa. Like, you know, how, why was that? Why what? Why is that such an important? And how do you love what they're doing?
1: So I really love what Chispa does. Um, Chispa is an organize, an organization that was started a few years ago that is working in local communities on the ground, primarily Latinx communities on local issues. And um, one of the things that they um, started working on. And we started I mean, and trying to be helpful at LCV because we're obviously we're, we're partners um, is to use that when. Remember um, a few years ago when VW was like cheating or like lying.
0: They were they were, they were lying. You can say lying. Were, yeah. And got, and got caught.
1: <laughs> right. Um, and so then there was a settlement. And so then the government governors in many states had the ability um, to disperse money. Um, as part of that, and so CHISPA had the great idea, working with coalition partners, um, of getting the governors to invest that money in electric school buses. So they started a, a really great campaign, um, uh, wait, healthy Nino, No, Clean Buses for Healthy Ninos, um, and it's been a, a big success, and I think it's also not just that what we've seen happen in states, but then we see, for example, Senator Harris um, in California, in her official capacity, a few months ago, introduced a uh, clean buses for healthy niños. Uh, you know, sort of using that principle legislation. Uh, Johanna Hayes is another great environmental champion in Connecticut, is the lead on the house bill. So we're seeing the work at the local level, the movement building, the power building, regular volunteers and organizers, people taking time out of their busy lives um, to advocate for their priorities, for their values, for clean energy, for clean buses, for Healthy Ninos, that that has impacted the local level and that creates upward pressure. And that's really how we're seeing change. So that now you have the vice president, the incoming vice president as a champion of something that started off at the local level, I think is, is really exciting.
0: No, that's, that's super exciting. Which well, I just got three more quick questions for you. Just, and just so first one is really, is uh, kind of like a master's class here. Um, first hundred days, what do we do? What, what, how should we prepare to get ready to make sure we ha- we have policy um, to fight the climate crisis? What, what's the? What, what, I, I'm Joe Blow, environmentalist. So tell me, right? What do what, what, what I? I just go to the LCV website and other websites and see what you guys are doing and sign some, sign some uh, <laughs> little uh, petitions. I mean, what's well, now?
1: definitely people should go to our website. They can check out how their members of Congress vote on the environment, but there should also be a feature where you can connect to your member of Congress or get their phone number um, and call them and say, you expect them to prioritize these issues. I think you can email them. Um, I hope we still have that feature. I haven't checked in the last little while, but definitely people raising their voices with their members of Congress, whether they're returning members or whether they are incoming members um, there is there's a capital switchboard. I'm embarrassed to say, should remember that phone number. Um, but there is just a capital switchboard number that people can call to also get connected to their representative's office. Call both senators. Just demand that they make this a priority. I assume there will be a way for people to communicate. Um, the transition team, I think, will be for the Biden incoming administration will be activated soon. So I don't know if there will be a way for people to go to the transition's website and sort of say, I want you to make this a priority. Um, there are a lot of really smart policy wonks, hard at work, thinking about all of the immediate actions that can be taken to start to undo, you, you mentioned, the hundred rollbacks of common sense environmental and public health protections. Um, you know, there's things that should happen getting back in Paris and going further. There's things that need to happen on day one. Then there's various executive orders that can get rolling. Um, so that we start to really maximize all the powers of the presidency over those first 100 days. We need to see, you know, um, Senator McConnell's talking about doing some kind of COVID relief bill during the lame duck. Um, I don't know what will happen there, but either way, I'm pretty confident it won't be satisfactory in terms of helping the clean energy industry start to recover from the impacts of the pandemic. So, there's space. So. I mean, we have we we've, we've got to get to work. Like we we all worked so hard to win the elections. And I would say knocking off the most anti-environmental president ever is huge. But it's not like our work starts, stops here. Like we win elections so that we can then advance strong policy. You know, elections have consequences. In this case, it's a great consequence of being able to go back on offense with this awesome incoming president and vice president. So we 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 cannot. There's no rest for the weary. We no get right back to it because there is so much terrible stuff to be undone, and then so much progress to make on t- top of that.
0: Uh, well, great great answer. Question two uh, here is on the kind of the opposite to that. We we may get a ton of policies from Green New Deal and from castor from Grahova, from kitchen from Markey, from White House. We may have this. Policies coming out the eardrums here, and then we have all kind of our new EPA administrator, our new our new Secretary of Interior, new Secretary of HUD. We have all these things. How do we follow all that? And which and how do we know which what's, what's good and what's not good and what's and what we should be moving forward?
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for mentioning um, Chairman Grijalva on the House Natural Resources Committee, and also Congressman McEachin, um, who is on many very important committees um, and leads the Environmental Justice. Um, task Force, and he's, he's fantastic, two of my favorites. But I mean, I think we've sort of been in a position of let a thousand flowers bloom and they, they have, but I think now it's sort of bringing together and coalescing around what's doable, especially if we end up with divided government, um, but how do we make the most possible progress? I think there is really a lot of continuity and synergy between the Biden Build Back Better Plan and the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis Report and the Senate Committee Report, and we've seen Chairman Grijalva um, churning out so many great bills and reports from his committee. So I think bringing that all together, and we can do big things. And you know, there's what can the Department of Interior do? What can EPA do? What can Department of Energy do? So that gets back to you're know, bringing a whole of government approach to this, and then again, working to make progress through, especially through must pass bills. So it's, if it's a McConnell and he's, you know, gonna block standalone climate legislation, that's not our only opportunity. Like we need to be um, clever and creative and not give an inch because, you know, I know for my children, like this is their future.
0: right? Yours too. No, it is, Uh, no, no, It, it is, it is, it is their future. They are literally fighting for their future and fighting for existence. But Tim, this is actually my last question. It's kind of in line to that. Um, as always, thank you so much for what you do. I'm always just, uh, just such a big fan of how you do it. And, uh, you know, and over there, and obviously I'm on the board of LCV, so I love LCV. So I tell everybody there to keep up the good work. Um, my last question really for you was one that I kind of saw, um, you know, when the issue of fracking came up. Uh, during the debates, and I've seen it, that we as a movement sometimes turn the rifles on ourselves pretty quick. Um, And as we begin to um, govern, um, how do we as a movement, if things don't quite go our way, or we don't think it's as ambitious, as you mentioned for our children, because we we are dealing with a fact that, you know, this is still science. It's still real. It doesn't. We, we we have to be ambitious. We have to we have to get the outcome we need to have. Um, and when we don't see that, our movement turns on each other. Sometimes, kind of quick. What would be your recommendation? And now this is you. This is this, is, this isn't tearing anymore. anymore. Uh, the the headhound show over there doing po- possibly at LCV. I'm about this is just Tina Sittnerfeld, the, the human being, to try to tell her other human beings to be how we could just be more understanding but also there's a serious understanding that there's an urgency of now that we, yep. we have to be moving forward so what would you say to that as we begin to govern
1: you saved the hardest one for last I think uh, no but in all seriousness, thank you for asking it's something that I think about a lot and I think on one hand the science shows us just how much trouble we're in and just how quickly we need to act and how big we need to go. And it all needs to happen, not yesterday, but like decades ago. So absolutely, we need to push as hard as we possibly can. I think we also need to recognize that we're we're not going to be able to get absolutely everything we want today or tomorrow. And we are up against so much from you know, the fossil fuel industry, who obviously, it's their bottom line, like they want to be able to pollute unfettered. They're going to be pushing back hard. There are, it's hard to believe there are still climate deniers in the Congress. Obviously, we saw as disturbing as it is, you know, that so much, so many people in this country voted to reelect Donald Trump, I mean, which I find abhorrent, but it it just it speaks to how divided this country is, so I think that we need to on one hand, we can't be patient because there's no time, but we I think we need to sort of be patient with each other and appreciate each other's perspectives and recognize for the diverse, awesome, energetic climate movement, which is far more powerful and and also more diffuse than it was the last time we tried to pass a climate change bill in 2009, 2010, um, that legislating, and actually it's easier to stop the bad things than it is to to really lock down the big good things. So we all have a lot of work ahead of us, but I think we need to be as ambitious as we possibly can. We need to stick together. I think not to put it back on you, Rev, but I do think, um, you know, you, you have been at this for a while and you, have so much respect across so many people and organizations. Not um, and so I think there are people, including you, who really have an opportunity to for us, sort of in the climate world, to be united. And not that it's at the end of the day, different groups may make different decisions. But I think we need to, in terms of what to support or what goes enough for, is that progress, even if it's not going to entirely solve the problem. Um, is that a step forward? And I think we need to sort of, again, work together, fight for as much progress as we possibly can, and just also have open lines of communication and, and trust. Not, yeah. not sure that solves
0: <laughs> No, but I, I, I appreciate that. And I, and I take that challenge. And I understand what you're saying, because we're in a real moment here to, to fight for humanity and fight for our children. Um, thank you, Tana.
1: Thank you, Rev. You're the best.
0: No, you are you are the best.
1: No, <laughs> you all you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like what you heard on this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.